This is Gary Nelson. Welcome to Guess's Corner Podcast at podcast.guesscorner.com. Today's topic is disorientation, the importance of project vision. Quote, Where there is no vision, the people perish. Proverbs 29, verse 18. One of the most important things you will do as a leader or project manager is to communicate a compelling vision to your team or organization. It not only sets the direction for the team and the project, it also begins to pull a group of individuals into a cohesive unit and, eventually, if all goes well, into a high-performing team. Without vision, all is lost, or has the potential to be unless you bring things back on track. This not only applies to your projects, it applies to real life, too as I learned firsthand many years ago. Up to the snow. In 1992, I went skiing with a work colleague and his wife on Mount Rupehu, a large volcano in the center of the North Island of New Zealand. I'd been there once before, but this was the first time on the mountain. It was a brilliant, sunny winter day, clear and crisp, and you could see all the way to the west coast from the Turoa Ski Lodge. The sky was a deep, intense blue you can only get with pollution-free air. When you drive up to the ski lodge, there's a sign for a pullout about halfway. No matter the apparent winter conditions, you have to stop and put chains on your car tires before driving any further. The altitude near the peak is high enough to support a permanent ice cap all year round, and the winter roads are often slick with black ice even when they're not covered in snow. One interesting fact about skiing in a volcano. When you line up to buy your lift tickets and rent the ski gear, there are signs all around you telling you that they can give you a 30-minute warning in the event of a volcanic event. If an event does happen, you are supposed to stay in the ridges and not try to ski out down the gullies. Makes a lot of sense, really. Water, mud, or lava will flow down the low points in the gullies first. This was not an idle warning. When I was there in 1992, there was a large hot water crater lake surrounded by ice. A small burp from the volcano could make the lake level rise, melt the ice, and cause a mud flow called a lahar. In 1953, the crater lake level rose in the middle of the night and caused a massive lahar down the eastern side of the mountain. Through the Whakapapa ski field, it wiped out a ski chalet and a railway bridge near Tangawai minutes before a passenger train dove into the chasm killing 151 people. It was the worst railway disaster in New Zealand history. Note, the large hot water lake in the crater is smaller than it used to be. In 1995 and again in 1996, a series of eruptions reshaped the top of the mountain. The eruption started September 25, 1995, near the end of the ski season. People were still skiing while it vented ash. Things quietened down through the summer, and the ski fields were preparing to open for the season again when another eruption cycle started on June 17, 1996. There have been other minor eruptions and a lahar since then. Duly warned, we put on our skis and made our way over to the ski lift. I took off my prescription glasses and put them away in my small backpack. I pulled out a pair of regular polarized sunglasses with a sports strap and slipped them on. I couldn't see as clearly, but I had skied that way before. Things were a bit fuzzy, but I could see shapes well enough to stay in the trail and avoid running into things at least. 
With this strong New Zealand sunlight, I needed to protect my eyes from the harsh UV rays and snow glare more than I needed sharp vision at the time. I quickly learned, however, that skiing on Mount Rupay was different than at every other mountain I have skied on before. The first and most obvious difference was the complete lack of trees. Rupayu only had rocks poking out of the snow here and there, otherwise everything was white. It made it a lot harder to see where the runs actually were. A lot of the time you had to rely on simply following the tracks made by other skiers. There were no clear edges to any of the runs unless you counted the occasional cliffs and drop-offs, which were still white on white. Fortunately, it was fairly easy to follow the tracks of the skiers. With my polarized sunglasses, I could clearly see the sharp edges of white and shadow in the snow, even with my blurred vision. The three of us skied together the whole time, but as they were more experienced, they were often waiting for me at the bottom of each run. At around 3 p.m. we paused near the top of one run to admire the clear, perfect view of Mount Taranaki, a classic volcanic cone far away in the west coast. Looking to the left, we could see some cloud approaching from the south, getting close to the mountain. We were getting tired and hungry anyway, so we decided to call it a day and head back down to the ski lodge. The runs were already emptying out, and as slow as I was, no one had passed me in a while. For long stretches of time, the only people I could see were my friends up in front. As we descended, the cloud enveloped the mountain. It was not a thick cloud, more like a dense fog. There was still plenty of light coming through it from above. That, however, was the problem. Everything was now a brilliant, diffuse white, and because of the fog you could not see anyone or anything beyond about ten meters. We slowed down so we would not suddenly come across any large rocks or cliffs at speed, but the visibility continued to deteriorate. My colleague and his wife seemed to be okay up in front, but I was having increasing difficulty in seeing where I was going. I could only see where to go by following the dark shapes ahead of me. The faint outlines of the ski tracks in the snow had long since disappeared in the white glow, with no shadows remaining. Only the occasional black rock here and there reassured me the outer edge of the run was still on my right. At one point, I took off my sunglasses because I thought I could see just a hint of shadow or a difference in the snow without them. With my astigmatism, it was still a blur, but it was the best I could manage. I couldn't stop to get my prescription glasses out of my bag. My colleague and his wife were getting far ahead of me. By now we were getting very worried about getting down to the lodge. The glasses probably wouldn't have helped much anyway. We continued to ski like that down the hill with them leading just ahead, but they got faster and faster as they seemed to get more nervous. I was struggling to keep up and to see. At one point the pair completely disappeared into the fog, so I sped up even more to catch up. I suddenly felt very alone, vulnerable, and increasingly disoriented. A moment later I was airborne, white all around, above and below me, with no sense of movement. I wasn't even sure I was still upright. Project Vision there are many books and countless articles about leadership and nearly as many about the importance of setting a vision for your team. Vision is not only about having goals, although setting goals is an essential part about getting things done. Vision is much more than that. A well-communicated vision generates emotion and passion within the team. It creates a common identity, a strong sense of purpose and direction, 
With good leadership, a compelling vision, and a skilled, engaged team working together, there are practically no limits to what you can accomplish together. The most powerful thing a team can buy into is purpose. Why are we doing this project? Who will it help? And how can we make a difference? When people understand, accept, and embody these themes, they will commit themselves wholeheartedly to the common vision, be it a short-term project or the long-term future of your company. However, the opposite is also true. If you do not have a compelling vision driving you, pulling you, pushing you onwards, you are likely to have a team busy spinning their wheels and accomplishing nothing. Sure, they may look busy, they may even produce mountains of paperwork as proof of life, but if they are not pulling in the same direction, you will soon find out you are going nowhere. Oof! After a brief eternity, I landed skis first on firm snow and promptly fell over. I was at the bottom of a curved gully used as a natural half-pipe for snowboarders. A few of them were doing their last runs of the day and whooshed on by me. My colleague and his wife were standing at the side of the gully, waiting for me, and came over to help me up. They had seen the lip of the gully and had skied gently down the side. In my haste and blurred vision, I had not seen the edge at all and flew nearly three meters out and three meters down to land on packed snow in the middle of the gully. Shaken? embarrassed, but fortunately not hurt. We skied the rest of the way out without incident. We were now below on the main cloud level, and we could see our way up more and more clearly with thicker cloud above and improved contrast. Summary Having clear vision, both in the literal sense and on your projects, is essential to success. Whether your goal is to simply get down off a mountain or deliver a complex multi-million dollar project on time and meet your stakeholders' needs, you simply can't do without it. And sometimes vision, or the lack of it, can literally mean life or death. Ah, wait a minute, you say. Aren't you overdoing it just a bit? I mean, how hard can it be to find your way back down to the ski lodge? The dazzling white cloud that made it so hard for us to see was actually the leading edge of a storm that lasted for two days. We only had our clothes, skis, and small packs with water and snacks. We were not prepared to bivouac in the snow. It would have been all too easy for us to get off the trail and miss the ski lodge completely. Two years earlier, on August 13, 1990, a group of 13 soldiers and naval ratings on a winter survival course were not so lucky. They were caught in an intense blizzard with high winds and zero visibility. But they were not prepared for it. They had become disoriented near the summit and dug snow caves for shelter while two men went for help. Rescuers found them three days later, huddled in the snow and suffering from exposure. Six frozen bodies were found only 150 meters from the dome hut, where they could have taken shelter and survived, if only they could have seen it. Good luck with your projects, dress warm, and never forget the importance of a clear and compelling vision. This has been Gary Nelson, and thank you for listening to Gaz's Corner Podcast at podcast.gazzascorner.com. If you'd like to read any articles, they're available at Gaz's Corner blog at www.gazzascorner.com. And of course, you can also find out about my books at Gaz's Guides, www.gazzasguides.com. Thanks, and look forward to talking to you again soon.